I am David. That's what we're calling this series. I love the shepherd king. He's one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. I've waited a long time to preach about him. So this morning we're going to launch a several week series on the life of King David over in 1 and 2 Samuel. I want to start a little different way because you can't judge a book by its... You heard that, have you? A lot of times we make quick judgments, and you'll see why I started that way in a few moments. I remember reading this thing from a management consulting firm, the Jerusalem consulting firm, several years ago, about how we judge people on what we see. See if you've heard this. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken a series of tests, and we've not only run the results through our computer, but we've also conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. And is that a big word or what? Whatever. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. It's the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept, and we would highly recommend that you continue your search for persons with more experience, higher qualifications, and greater managerial abilities. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable. He's given a fits of temper, and Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership, period. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they place personal interests above company loyalty, and they're quite boisterous. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine the morale among the ranks. It's also our duty to inform you that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received reports on Matthew regarding questionable practices. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely has radical leanings and both demonstrate attitude problems, which would present difficulties in dealing with the public. However, there is one of your candidates that shows great potential. He's a man of ability, resourcefulness. He meets people well. He has a keen business mind, and he has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, responsible, and is not afraid to take the initiative. Okay? We recommend Judas Iscariot as the most qualified of all your prospective candidates. Sincerely, the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. They're duped. And I open that way just thinking as we know the characters, we read scripture about the disciples. But if we look in the mirror at our own life, we might go, I'm duped. I've missed the mark. I don't know. But I want us to just think about as we move through this today, that King David, he is an amazing, he's an astounding, stunning king. There's so much written in scripture about King David. But he also has an incredible alignment, his past of sinfulness, and yet God uses him. You know, I asked you this question today. What does Rudy, Rocky, Cinderella Man, Miracle, Sea Biscuit, and Mighty Ducks have in common? All the athletes would say they're all sports films. Well, that's partially right. But the answer is every one of them was an underdog. And when I think about the life of King David, shepherd boy, runt of the litter, Eighth son of Jesse, you would think. Shepherd boy, not picked, out tending his father's sheep when Samuel came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king. But we see that the story changes. First Samuel 
If you'll look over there in your Bible, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16, but if you'll look at 1 Samuel, it's uh, verse 13. Chapter 13, verse 14. Listen. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul is a king that has great power. They asked for a king. Saul was not what they thought. So many times we get what we want, but we're not what they thought. For 1 Samuel 13, 14. And he has to be removed from power. God removes him. He is a lame duck. Saul is a spiritual poser. He is not the real deal. He has amazing authority to rule Israel. But God removed him because God is sovereign. God is in charge of his world. He does what he thinks is right. First and second Samuel is the longest biography that I read of in Scripture. Along with Chronicles and New Testament, multiple places we read about the life of David. Sixty-six chapters are devoted to King David in the Old Testament. Fifty-nine references are referred to this great man in the New Testament. I mean, it's just amazing. Seventy-three of the Psalms in the book of Psalms is, are attributed to King David. And yet God continues to say there was none like him. He was a man after my own heart. And it's interesting when you look at it because basically if I came today, if I went over to the theater and I met with all the children, I'd go, tell me about King David. And invariably, young boys and girls would rise up and go, David and Goliath. We know that story. Christian or non-Christian, we know that story. That's a story of hope. That's a story of God's power. But people know that story. Or you might know the beautiful babe, David and... Well, you can say it in public. Your wife's not going to hit you. David and Bathsheba. There's not pictures there, okay? David and Bathsheba. And we know these stories of King David. But there's so much that we're going to hope to unpack over these weeks together that we see what do they all have in common. There's an impossible situation. There's an unlikely hero. That's who David really is. But the hero in David, it emerges. And it gives glory to God. It really does. The Lord has narrowed his choice down to a certain family. Jesse's family. He doesn't tell them which one, but it's Jesse and his boys. Now, Jesse's got eight boys. I mean, how many of you are glad that Jesse's boys aren't on your payroll? I'm just going to go ahead and praise God. Can you imagine trying to feed those strapping boys every day? I mean, that probably had to be hard. And everybody treated David, though, like, David, you don't even exist. And maybe you can identify. Maybe you're the youngest son, the youngest daughter. Maybe you seem like you were invisible in your family. Maybe you seemed invisible in your company. Maybe you seemed invisible to your team. But I will assure you, God sees the invisible. And God sees the possibility of this guy. The actual, the actual word, when you look at the Hebrew, Jesse, it means man. David is referred to as the son of man. And Jesus has this great title. And as we look at it, it's just amazing that Jesse invites them to a dinner. They're invited here to come over to Jesse's house. And Samuel will journey, he will travel to Bethlehem. And he'll make an offering to the Lord. The scripture tells us there in 1 Samuel 16, if you'll just turn over there, 
Because earlier it says, I've rejected him as king over Israel, filled your horn with oil and on your way, and I'm sending Jesse to Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king, verse 1, verse 2. But Samuel says, how can I go? Saul will hear about it, and Saul will kill me. Well, take a heifer with you when you go. And the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And then they asked him a question. But do you come in peace? See, Saul's got this great manipulation, this great power. They're afraid they're going to be killed because Samuel's going to do his job. You think, well, man, there's been taxes here. Uh, there's just been this puffed-up leader. He's full of himself. He's full of pride. His, his name is Saul, and yet he's still over, he's over the kingdom. He's still the king, and you've asked me to go and to anoint this new one? And I just wonder about our lives. Sometimes, you know, God wants to be crowned king of our life every day. And if you ever said to the Lord, maybe not in these words, but Lord, I don't need you. I can get along without you. you, you you've deceived yourself. That's what's happened if you're doing that. But he moves on. He, and what, what, what I find here when I read Scripture, it proves to me that God is never without a plan. God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. Exclamation point. You and me are part of God's plan, his divine plan, his divine purposes. God has a future and a hope for you. How many of you believe that today, that you were created for the glory of God and not for man? God's got something for you to do. And some of you are like, man, I'm on that journey. I'm trying to discover that. And I don't think it's a one-time thing. I think it's a constant walk. So why does God need a king? God doesn't need a king, but the people wanted a king. And God chooses to work through humanity. I don't understand that, but it's part of the incarnation of Christ. Jesus became man and dwelt among us for 33 years. You look, read the Old and New Testament, and you see how God uses mankind. God will use you. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. But I want you to look in the box. Three standards to selecting a king. It would appear, number one, it would just be appearance. That's, that's the one I want, just appearance. Well, here it is. He, he goes to him there in the... In the 16th chapter, let's look down here, and, and he comes up, he, he's arrived in there. Look over at, um, here we go, I had it, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed. He stands here before the Lord. He's tall, he's big, he's buff, he's the guy. They go, man, this has got to be it. This is, uh, this is the one. And what does the Lord say? What does he, what does he tell Samuel? No. It's not the obvious choice. Sometimes you just think the appearance. You think that's going to be. Let, let me say something to you young people right now. Listen, listen, this could change your life. Most of you probably want to be married one day. And you're going to pick a mate. And I encourage you, and your mom and dads will encourage you, not to pick your mate based on appearance only, but pick your mate based on character. And the family of God said... Because let me go ahead and tell you, hold on, hold on, hold on, don't get mad. Between 20 and 40 and 20 and 50 and 20 and 60, you're going to look different. You're saying, I'm not a pastor. I'm having lipo and cosmo and all this, and I'm having surgery. And you're going to come here, your face so stretched out, I don't know what's going to happen. But the truth is, you're going to change, and that mate's going to change. And let me tell you, and you're going to change. Isn't that right, guys? And all the guys say, uh-huh, I'll punch your coverage. Uh-huh, I did, I did, I did, hallelujah. So glad she's beautiful, and I'm not. But here's the thing. Appearance here, based, 
So here, look at the second one, age. Well, he's the eldest son. He's the oldest. So many times you think, well, that's who it is. Because in Old Testament time in history, the first son got all the inheritance. The first son got the perks. The first son got everything. So it was obvious that the king would be who? Eliab. But no, God, God has a sense of humor, if you will. He, he just moves on through there. Goes, no, no, that's not the one. And then the third one, I want you to write in there, it's the heart. That's where God looks. I want to talk about the heart today. It's what I really want to be, make my focus on. The heart. God's looking at your heart. The heart is God's standard. The heart is the core of our being. The, the heart is the existence of who we really are. And God says, David is a man after my heart. He pursues me diligently, wholeheartedly. He comes after me because age is deceptive. Background might seem to shape you, but it won't determine you long term about who gets picked and who doesn't get picked. Because God is attracted to weakness. Are y'all grateful this morning that God is attracted to our weakness? I am. Because in my weakness, I find dependency on the sufficient one, on Jesus. So here we see this Old Testament story of picking a king, the calling of David, and let's just fill in some blanks. God's calling is based on character. Develop your character. Keith, all of us, develop our character. This, this is critical that we do this. The insecure leader always wants to maybe push aside character. He wants to eliminate other people that are a threat to him, that intimidate him. But in 1 Samuel Look at verse 7. It's going to come on the screen. I, I love what the Scripture says. This is one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. I, I need to think about that. The Lord doesn't see the things the way I see them. But people judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the... Aren't you glad God looks at our heart? You're saying... Yeah, not always. My heart is sinful. My heart has chosen the sinful way. Oh, there's good news. You can repent and return. You can turn around and run back to God. But he's not choosing you based on your appearance or your age. He's choosing us according to our hearts. He, it, they come out of Bethlehem. Well, what's Bethlehem known for? The house of bread. You breed uh, sheep tenders and shepherds and farmers, but you don't, kings and governors don't come from low, this lowly place. Oh, but they do in God's economy. They do from God's economy. The Lord looks at the heart. When I, when I look at that, we tend to miss the heart. We tend to look at the appearance and the ability. And God says, I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the, the character. That's why character will always matter. Look at it on here. God is interested in character. Write this on your outline today. Tattoo this on your heart, friend. God is interested in character. Matter of fact, I want you to know it so bad, I want you to repeat it with me. God is interested in character. Character matters to God. Character probably matters to your mom and dad. I promise you, character matters to your pastor. It matters to the life of faith. It matters to the faith community. These babies we dedicated today, our character, our witness, not just what we say, what we do, who we become, it matters to them. But we're bombarded by images. You young girls and older girls, I feel sorry for you because we want to tether 
what we think of so many people by their curves and by their image and how thin or how not thin or whatever they are. But let me tell you, that's also superficial. God wants us to know, I want to judge your heart. I want to look at your heart. I want your heart to be right. Character is everything in my economy. Second Chronicles 16.9. I love this passage. It just simply says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. He watches everywhere. In order to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now you will be at war. But God this morning is coming to us at Ryan Road. And he's saying, Christ community, I want to strengthen your heart. I want to give you a spiritual heart. Ezekiel says, oh God, would you give me a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Oh God, give me a new heart, the prophet Ezekiel said. I love what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The old heart is gone, but the new heart has come. Oh, that's a great hope for us today. The heart is pointed. Let me tell you this. The heart needs to go north. Tune your heart into going north this morning to the star, to the morning star, to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Lord, help me to tune into you. Lord, I love what I read about Dave Wilkerson. He said this, I want to encourage you to have a perfect heart. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. Genesis 17, 1. I like what Psalm 101.2 says. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. You're saying, perfect heart? Nobody has a perfect heart but Jesus. You're right. But let me tell you what I think perfect heart really means. It means to walk in completeness and to move toward maturity. That Christ is shaping you on this journey called life on your way to a place called heaven. And God is maturing us and growing us. And this perfection means we're growing in uprightness. We're growing in the character of God that we are without blemish because of Christ. That we have a, a, a responsive heart. Just write in your notes today, responsive heart. That's all God wants today. That's all he wants every day. God wants you and I to have responsive hearts to him. God, don't let my heart grow cold. I love that song Jeff led us in. We, we sing it around here and it's so powerful. Set a fire within my soul. God, set us on fire today. I like what the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way within me. He wanted him to look and to shine into the hidden part, to investigate, to dig, to probe, to look at the heart of man, to give him a heart that yearns for the Lord. And then write down Psalm 24, 3 and 5. I love what Scripture says. Who shall stand in this holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive blessings from the Lord. I pray that all the time. God, I need clean hands. I need a pure heart. And I can't do it. I'm not capable. I try. But I need to trust you to transform my heart today. Give me transformed people here. David's out serving sheep. Seems meaningless, but God's crafting skills within King David. So I ask you this, when you have three minutes by yourself, what do you do? Well, pastor, I'm in church, I don't want to lie. I check Facebook, I, I check Facebook status, I check my Instagram, I check this, I check that. Okay, fair enough. Might be a new thing. Lord, I just got a few minutes here before I go on Facebook or before I read about my sports team or I do this or that or I do whatever. God, would you check my heart? Give me a heart check. Just write it today, heart check. 
God, give me a heart check. Is my heart clean? Is my heart ready for you to be used for your purposes? And then look at here, 1 Samuel, just as you build through 16, 9 through 12, you just begin to see this. But I want you to see this next part. God's calling is a work of the Spirit. He goes, Samuel goes to get a king. He goes to anoint a king because he's been instructed by the Lord to appoint a new king. And he goes, and he, he's going through these brothers. And, and um, Psalm 16 says, you are my Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But yet, it's, it's interesting when I read that, there's this a tendency to want to focus on the outward stuff. And yet, God's calling it is a work of the Spirit. And, and in the Old Testament, I want you to hear this. Maybe you already know this, but if you don't, you'll learn something today. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not mark and seal and dwell in us. He came upon a people, and then he backed off of people. He came on a people, and then he was withheld. And so the Holy Spirit would come, and he would remove. And I love New Testament grace. The, the, the Bible says that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and marks and dwells and seals the believer. And he doesn't leave us. It, it's permanent. It's not taken from us. It's not selective as it is in the Old Testament. And, and in Psalms 51, create in me a new heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. But then the psalmist David that we're talking about, he says, but take not the Holy Spirit from me. See, David had embraced the presence of the Lord of the Holy Spirit so many times. And he knew what it was when it wasn't on his life in a powerful way. God, I have sinned. And when you read through the Psalms, yeah, you see David, man, he murdered and lied and covered up and did all kind of sinful things. But then he the Bible says, but he's that man after God's heart. And he's asking God for a new heart, for a clean heart. He's asking for the Spirit. Just write down John 14, 16 through 17. Listen to Scripture. And I will ask the Father, and you will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you in all truth. And the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And that's where we live today. The Holy Spirit. He dwells in our hearts by faith in Christ. He's, a, he's an advocate for truth. He is truth. But then, so God's calling is a work of the Spirit. I want to move to this next one. God's calling is a call to servanthood. To servanthood. Now, if, as you think about that, you just think, servanthood? David was a simple shepherd that rose to be a mighty king. I remember in 1999 standing at the grave at King David. Next to going to the empty tomb, it was the most moving moment in my journey to the Holy Land. I was just, I'm just enamored with this leader. I can't read enough about him. And yet, you know what David, you know what the scripture teaches? David did not come against the anointed of God, King Saul. Even though Saul was wicked, was wrong, was sinful, wanted to take David's life, he did not rise up against God's anointed. The Bible says that David served the purposes of Saul. He served him. Uh, he was, you know what it was? I would say David was in a leadership laboratory when he served because, you know, Saul asked for him. Because, see, Saul was wicked and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit on King Saul. And, and, and it was bad. And he says, man, I've got to have music. I've got to have help. He didn't have Caleb. And he says, man, I've got to have some help. So he said, man, somebody come help me. And they said, or there's this harpist, there's this old harp boy. And he's, he's really good. And you bring him into the palace. So David walked in and he learned how to play the harp. 
And he would go and he would soothe. And I bet old King Saul would go, crank it up, shepherd boy. Can't crank it up to 10. You're going, you're crazy. Well, I, I don't know. They, they didn't have the sound system we've got. But I can imagine David could get a lot of sound. He got a soothing sound out of that. And so it was, it was interesting. Matter of fact, you can just go ahead and fill it in here. Music is an important influence in our lives. I, I could talk about so many of these aspects forever. But the, 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 the servanthood, I want you to hang here. But I just want to tell you, servanthood, David would serve Saul. He, he would serve different things. He even served John, Saul's great-grandson, or his grandson. He served him. His name was Mephibosheth. Say that with me three times fast. Mephibosheth. And he was the little lame boy that got dropped, leaving, getting ushered out of the house. So David had learned early to be a warrior, as we know from David and Goliath, and he learned to play the harp. He learned to be a leader. It was just beautiful. But this whole music thing, David got into the throne room of Saul because he was a musician. He, he had something that he offered to the king. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior, but he influenced people through his music. And, and, and I think about today how much our music and our culture influences you and me. And how much music has influenced Christ's community for 20 years. Because it's praises to the Most High God. Do y'all believe God is worthy of our best music and our greatest worship? How many believe that today? I do. This morning I was back there dancing. And some of you wanted to. And some of you did. And some of you are like, no, I'm too dignified for this. Well, that's another sermon for another day. But here's what I know about King David. He always pointed to King Jesus. David was not about himself. He had a heart for the Father. Because he knew God to be a good, good father. In 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 17, if we back up there, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord who had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit filled with depression and fear. That sounds pretty nasty, doesn't it? And some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. And he will play soothing music. And you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And he did. It's like, you know, we have songs, we have national anthems, we have fight songs and alma maters at our high schools and our universities. Songs, songs, songs. But I'm wondering, are we cranking up the praises of Jesus in our hearts, in our cars, on our devices? Uh, I, I got to thinking here, tormented. You know what it means? To be frightened, to overtake, to strike with fear, to be afraid, to dread, to be terrified, to be intimidated. You know what I've learned about fear? Fear can be disabling. And Saul was tormented. And God had sent that on him because he had been a wicked king, not after the purposes and the heart for God. There's a great study my wife did years ago, and I went back and read some notes yesterday on it. It's called A Heart Like This by Beth Moore. It's one of the best studies I've ever seen on King David. And maybe some of you have done it. Maybe some of you need to. But I know this. David had absolute faith in God. He had seen him deliver him from the paws of the lion. He had seen him deliver him from the big, ugly giant named Goliath. He had seen himself delivered from King Saul that wanted his life with a spear. He had seen him deliver. He had seen him deliver over and over again. And I bet David would say, great is thy faithfulness. David was a man after God's heart. He loved God's word. We know that from the psalmist. We know also, listen to what Psalm 26, 6 and 7 says. 
He was thankful. I wash my hands in innocence and I go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and I tell of all your wonderful deeds. See, you read so much on David and we do see the bad part. And, and David is a, yeah, he's a character. But man, he gets it right. David finishes strong. And we're going to talk about his life for several weeks. And I pray you're going to learn and you're going to see application for your life and for my life as we go through this. And we see that David is truly responsive. But Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. He just says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfastness, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, from my sin, and cleanse me from all sin. That's what David said. He demonstrated faith on a daily basis in God, and he had a recognition of God's authority, and he received God's word. And then David would say, In God, would you remodel my heart? Because my heart is prone to wonder. My heart is prone to sinfulness. So, God, I need you. You know, I prayed that prayer when I rose up this morning. Father, you're a good, good father. Thank you for this day. And I praise him and I put on the armor of God. But I also said, God, my heart is wicked. It's deceitful above all things. God, I'm prone to wander. God, I need a new heart this day to walk in the purposes of the king. But Saul was just a man that was presumptuous and full of himself and full of pride. And God removed him. So I want you to write this in somewhere today. Obedience is a gauge for my heart. David obeyed the king, the Lord God. And obedience is your gauge and my gauge that we would willingly respond and repent and be restored. I don't know where you are on your journey. Maybe you walked with Christ as a teenager and you have drifted. Maybe as a young adult you walked with Christ and you ran away. Maybe you've just come to faith recently. Maybe you're older and your heart has been cold. And today King David would say, ask God to give you a new heart. And to give you a freshness, a feeling of the Holy Spirit. And to walk with him in faith today. But the word is, repent. Return to the Lord. Because Jesus has overcome for you and me. Are you an overcomer? Oh, I pray you are today. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so good to be in your house with your family of faith. And God, I love King David. I don't worship him. I'm not Davidic in nature or I worship him. I worship the King of David, the Lord Jesus. I pray we put our exaltation. I pray we put our praise. I pray we put our focus on you, Jesus. You're worthy of all praise and honor. But I thank you for a man named David that showed me how to serve you and how to forgive people that came against him and how he was constantly seeking your heart. God, today, would you give new hearts here by faith in Jesus? We ask you to bring little kids to faith at early ages, but I pray right now, Father, that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to the throne of grace and give new hearts and give new life and give a relationship with you today. I'm just curious today, as we get ready to sing this great song, are there people right now that just want a new start, that just want a new heart? Would you rise to your feet today if you're willing to do that? Would you just rise to your feet across the living room today? Not looking at man, but saying, God, I want a new start. I want a new heart. Come on, church. Come on, there are people in this room right now that probably need a new start, a new heart. Would you be willing to do that? That's a bold proclamation. Would anybody be willing to do that?
Okay. Oh, Lord, if we say you have our hearts, change them, transform them, make them like yours. We're overcomers through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.